Hey, it's Matt Bowles. If you want to hang out with me in person, I'm going to be at the Latino Travel Fest in Elizabeth, New Jersey, May 31st to June 2nd. And I've got a 15% discount for you to join me. Just go to themaverickshow.com slash Latino. That's L-A-T-I-N-O. There you're going to see your 15% discounted ticket. There are going to be multiple guests from The Maverick Show attending, so you'll be able to hang out with all of us in person. You do not need to be Latino in order to attend Everyone is welcome. Again, get your discounted ticket at themaverickshow.com slash Latino. And as soon as you do, send me a DM on Instagram at Matt Bowles Maverick. Let me know that you're coming so that we can make plans to link up in person. And now here's a clip of what's coming up on today's episode. I feel alive when I travel. I feel freedom. Travel is a lifestyle for me. It's not like me running away, but travel makes me grow, like learn something new. And it smells and feels like freedom for me. And I don't think I'm going to stop. Today's most interesting location-independent entrepreneurs and world travelers. And learn the strategies and tactics they use to succeed. And now, here's your host, Matt Bowles. Hey everybody, it's Matt Bowles. Welcome to the Maverick Show. My guest today is Katch Umandap. She is a location-independent entrepreneur and world traveler who has been to 173 countries and territories on all seven continents. And she has done it all on her Philippines passport. She is attempting to be the first person ever to travel to every country in the world on a Philippines passport. Catch has her own show broadcast locally in the Philippines, where she discusses travel tips and advice for traveling outside the country. She is also the founder of FilipinoPassport.com, which helps other Filipinos get tourist visas so they can explore the world and also helps them to relocate and get residency in other countries. Having recently established her own base in Montenegro, Cash is now most passionate about helping people relocate to live and work in Montenegro. She is the founder of the Montenegro Digital Nomads and Remote Workers Facebook group, which has over 3,000 members. And Cash is also a travel blogger and influencer who has been featured in Forbes, The New York Times, CNN, Time Magazine, BBC, Business Insider, and the list goes on. Cash, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. Really, really appreciate this. And thank you for the opportunity. How are you? I am amazing. And I'm so excited to have you here today for this conversation. But we need to start off by setting the scene and talking about where we are doing this today. Unfortunately, we are not in person. And also the fact that we have agreed to make this a wine night. So let's talk about what we are drinking. I am actually in Asheville, North Carolina. I'm in the Blue Ridge Mountains on the east coast of the United States, and I have just opened a bottle of Malbec from Cahors, France, 
which is a super cool wine because a lot of people think about Malbec and they think about it being from Argentina, which of course is a really prominent region for Malbec, but it was originally a French grape that comes from France and the Malbec from France actually tastes a little bit different from the Malbec in Argentina. So it's kind of a really cool wine. And so I've just opened a bottle of that that I'll be drinking through during this interview. Where are you, Cash, and what are you drinking? I'm currently in Herceg Novi, Montenegro, where I decided to make my home base. And I am drinking a local wine from Plantage, which is the biggest winery in Montenegro. And I'm having Vranac, Vranac somewhere else, like they, they pronounce it differently but you can only find these grapes in Montenegro. Amazing. Well, cheers. <laughs> cheers. <laughs> well, I want to start this off by going all the way back. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about your experience growing up in the Philippines, where in the Philippines you grew up. And as you were coming up, can you describe to people sort of the entrepreneurial culture in the Philippines? And as you were growing up, what were some of your earliest entrepreneurial tendencies as you think back? Yeah, I grew up in San Pablo City, Laguna, which is a two hours drive now because we have expressway. The roads are much better. Two hours away from Manila, it's in the south, in Luzon. And I grew up with my mom and my sibling, one sister, one brother. And my mom is a single parent and she raised us with the help of my grandparents as well. My family, we don't have a lot of entrepreneur on my mother's side, but on my father's side, most of them are in real estate. But since my parents separated when I was seven years old, I never thought of becoming an entrepreneur, but I was already like that when I was young because every summer season, I usually tend to have my own little business. At some point, I was selling garlics like to different neighbors. And then I was selling pork and chicken barbecue to some people and ice candy and different things because I just want to have my own money so I can buy whatever I want just to have a freedom. Oh, I made this because my parents or my mom would give me money anyway. And when I studied in university, my intention was to take up economics so I can take up law. In the Philippines, you have to do a pre-law, which is like a four-year degree course, and then study law for another four years. And usually pre-university, you need to have specific degrees that will be accounted to that. But yeah, my initial plan was to become a diplomat, but it didn't happen. <laughs> and so when you think about your interest in world travel... Can you talk about where that came from? Like you think way back growing up in the Philippines, how did that interest in world travel originally develop? To be honest, can you believe the first time I left the Philippines was when I was 20 years old. That's the first time I stepped foot outside of my own country. I knew about international travels from my grandparents and from our neighbors and other people in our little city. My grandfather loves to watch History Channel, Not Geo, and those things. And I was telling him when I was young, I want to be like that. I'm going to be traveling. And they're like, um, okay, you can be whatever you want, something like that. And when you were young, the funny thing is that there is this weird kind of mindset wherein if you live abroad, you'll be rich and then you'll come back there and then you feed the entire village or the neighbor. Or like if someone is from abroad, they're going to come back with nice shoes, nice food. And we've been seeing it a lot from our neighbors who works on the ship because there's a lot of cruise ship workers or like neighbors who married foreigners, Europeans or Americans. And you have that kind of thinking, oh my God, their life seems to be better. But when I was young, I didn't even think of that much. Like I knew I'm going to study hard so I can have a job that will bring me abroad. 
And then what was your path to initially leaving the Philippines? And what was that first experience like your first time leaving the country? Yeah, I actually left the Philippines one month after my university graduation. My initial plan was to go to the Middle East, to Kuwait, because my father was there. He's working there and he got me on the job training, like an internship at the Philippine embassy. So I could do it for three months and then come back to the Philippines and take up law to study again. But when I arrived there, I was like, oh my God, this is not a nice <laughs> place for a first-timer, 20-year-old going to a new country. Oh, I don't want this kind of lifestyle. And I asked my father for help so I could get a job in the private sector. And when I got my first salary, I was like, oh gosh, I'm earning way, way, way more than anyone in my batchmates and stuff. So I, so I told myself, okay, I'm going to go stay here save up enough money, and then go back to the Philippines and study again. But it didn't happen. And so what ended up happening instead? I ended up working for four years in Kuwait. I work for a healthcare company. First is a dental institution. It's like a dental chain. And then next was a hospital, international hospital. And I started working in the customer service until I got into quality assurance. And then I became a quality assurance supervisor for one international hospital. And I was like, wow, this is awesome. If I'm doing HSC and quality assurance thing, then why not work for an oil company? Just get few certification and my salary will be triple. I a little got a little bit heartbroken. So I ended up moving from Kuwait and I moved to Kurdistan, Iraq, where I worked for five months. And I stayed there. And I think it was a quarter life crisis because I was like 24 years old. And then I quit my job and I was telling myself, okay, I'm going to just take six months off sabbatical leave or taking a break from all of these things. And I'm always trying to chase. There's something missing. There's something wrong my whole life. And I quit my job. April 2013, uh, book a flight to the Philippines, pick up my brother and sister. It was their first time to travel abroad and started my backpacking adventures in Thailand. I feel like a lot of people start their backpacking <laughs> adventures in Thailand. This is the easiest, I think. It's the easiest, the cheapest. That's awesome. And so how did that backpacking trip go? I mean, both in terms of traveling to new countries and having those new experiences, but also doing it with your siblings and all of that. So they traveled with me from Thailand to Laos to Vietnam, and then we separated ways. And I got into yoga, and then I ended up living in Vietnam with my previous partner. I was teaching English there for a few months. And that trip in April 2013 continued until now. But now I have a home base, which is in Montenegro. But it continued to be no base from 2013 to 2019. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about as you've been traveling around, how did you start to understand this concept of passport privilege and the difference of traveling on a Philippines passport versus traveling on an American passport or a Japanese passport or something like that? I already knew about the passport privileges just by working in the Middle East because your nationality is actually one of the bases for the salary. So um, if you have a Western passport, then your salary, even though you're doing the same job, your salary is double and triple. But if you're Filipino, then of course, it's different kind of thing, even though you, you have like same position, same everything. And we knew already from the beginning, I myself knew it already from the beginning when I was younger that it's going to be very hard for Filipinos like me to travel the world 
That's why my intention was to become a diplomat so I can have a diplomatic passport. Because the hearsay in my country when you're young is it's so hard to get U.S. visa. It's so hard to get to Europe. If you've got U.S. visa or go to Europe, you're kind of big deal. And I didn't apply for my USA visa until I started traveling two years later because I was so scared about rejection. And it's really, really difficult. But I know that in any difficult situation, that's where if you know how to grab the opportunity, that's when and where you will thrive. And I know it's hard for me as a Filipino to get these visas. And they ended up writing about how to get visas. And that's how people in the Philippines got to know my travel blog. Well, you have subsequently traveled to a lot of really mm -hmm. different and really interesting places. I want to ask you about some of them. I am actually on my way back to East Africa this year. I was there in 2018. I'm going to go back this year and spend some more time there in Tanzania and Kenya and hopefully some other spots as well. I know you have spent time in East Africa. It's one of the regions I want to ask you about. How was your experience there? What were some of the highlights of your trip? Oh, East Africa. I really love it there. I actually traveled solo there to 17 different countries, including Madagascar, Comoros, Mauritius, and the Seychelles. At the beginning, I had a friend who joined me in Kenya, Tanzania, Mozambique, and Seychelles leg of the trip. And then I continued my journey on my own and going to Rwanda, Uganda, and those kind of places. And I actually took public transportation, bus and flights and trains and everything. And it's been incredible. I was so surprised that there's a lot of Indians in Eastern Africa, a lot of Indians. So it wasn't something shocking for me because when I arrived there, they thought I was a local. I looked like a local Indian girl just traveling there or visiting the cities or visiting family and friends. So I didn't feel endangered or prices are up or anything. They just thought I was a local. So it felt like, oh, I belong. Yeah, there's a big Indian community in a lot of the British colonies in Africa. In fact, I mean, West Africa as well, in Ghana, Nigeria, and those kind of spots as well. So yes, amazing Indian food too in a lot of those countries. Really incredible treat when going there to hang out with the Indian communities. Well, another country that you've been to that's super high on my list that I want to go to is Pakistan. I've been to India a couple of times. I was supposed to go to Pakistan in 2020 and then COVID happened. So I still haven't been there, but I know that you have spent some time there and I wanted to ask your experience about that as well. I was so grateful to make it to Pakistan. I was actually on my last leg of my Central and East Asia solo travel. So I visited most of the stands. I just came from Iran that time and then flew to Qatar to fly to Pakistan. And I was so grateful because I got the visa and it's so hard for Filipinos to get the visa. And the trip was awesome from Islamabad to Karakoram Highway until reaching the border. And unfortunately, on the way back from the border of China, going back to Islamabad, I encountered a car accident, which I think happened for a reason. The scary part was not the accident. The scary part is when they were bringing me back from Karakoram back to Islamabad because there's a lot of landslides. And then I was reading so many accidents there because the road is good, but the drivers are driving really crazy fast. But I've realized how kind the people are there. If you get into accident, they could steal your things, do this, do that to you. But no, they really helped you. They fed me, they helped me, they carried me. And they were really good people. And the food, spicy food, is really good. And if you're going to Pakistan and you're going to go to the Hunza Valley to the north, I highly recommend that you take the flight 
which is very limited schedule, but it will save you a lot of time and it will save you a lot of dramas. You could still do the road trip. It's going to be okay. But I highly suggest that you just fly and then go and you'll have more time to visit the other cities. I'm never bad in going south because I was only in the north. Amazing. Well, then I have to ask you about Iran as well, because that is also tippy top of my list, places mm-hmm. I have not been that I have heard amazing things about. How was your experience in Iran? I love Iran, to be honest. I crossed the border from Turkmenistan to the border of Mashhad, Iran. And I thought it's going to be so complicated. Turkmenistan is a close country, Iran too. But I walked from Turkmenistan border, just walk less than 10 minutes walk and I was on Iran border. And then from there, my driver picked me up and brought me to Mashhad, which is another sacred place for the Muslims. And from there, flew all over. I think for you, you definitely love Iran. It's so diverse and the food is amazing. The scenery is good. The history, everything is so good there. Yeah, I've been close. I was spent about a month in Azerbaijan in 2019 in Baku, and there's just so much Persian history there and all of that, which was amazing. And I was very close, but I still have not been to Iran. So that is tippy, tippy, tippy top high on my list. Okay, Central Asia then as well, since you mentioned it. Let's talk about that because I have not been to Central Asia either very high on my list to go through the stands. Can you share a little bit about what some of your highlights were in that region and any tips you have for people that want to experience it? My first stop in the Central Asia, the stands, was in Tajikistan. And from Tajikistan, we drove the Pamir Highway to go to Kyrgyzstan. I was joined by a couple from Poland where it's like three of us in the car. We shared, you know, the cost of the driver and everything. And we were staying in not hotels, but hostels and motels and homestays and it's kind of chilly there and from there i actually was able to get a visa in the pamir highway to enter afghanistan i was planning to do wakan valley but i got a little bit scared like i was planning to do it like for three four days but i ended up just doing a day trip which i should do more in the near future going back to afghanistan and then from there i went to kyrgyzstan and also of course kazakhstan uzbekistan turkmenistan and then i also went to mongolia and then Iran. For a solo female traveler, I also did a solo trip there. It's actually pretty safe. So you, Matt, you're going to enjoy it. But I think it is a country that is so much fun to do with one or two of your mates. Share expenses or if you can drive and rent a nice 4 by 4 I think the Pamir Highway from Tajikistan and Kyrgyzstan is going to be the best. <laughs> Well, I also want to ask you about a totally separate region. Didn't you like sail around the Caribbean on a boat for two years or something like that? Can you talk about that experience? Yeah. My ex-partner, he's into sailing. Actually, he learned how to sail when we were together. And it was his dream to sail a sailboat. And we sailed with other people's boat. But in 2017, we ended up buying a sailboat in Florida, in Marathon, Florida. And we fixed it. I didn't know anything about sailing. So we stayed in Florida Keys for almost eight months while fixing the boat because Hurricane Irma also hit the eye in Florida Keys that time. So we ended up having to stay longer to fix everything that's got damaged. And we ended up adopting a cat in Florida Keys, Captain Ahab. And we sailed um, (laughs) from Florida to the Bahamas, to Turks and Caicos, to Dominican Republic, to Puerto Rico for two years and live on a boat Full time. I went on solo trips from time to time and work trips, but our home was the boat. 
we call the boat SV Empress. We didn't know anything about sailing that time and learned everything along the way. It's been really cool adventure, but very expensive. I would love to go sailing again. Sailing is calming for me and unexpectedly very, very therapeutic, but I will never live on a boat again full time. <laughs> so, all right, you're doing all of this travel on all of these continents. And eventually at some point along the way, you sort of start to become this blogger and travel influencer. Can you talk about how that started and then how you evolved that to where it is today? When I was starting to write a blog, I didn't know it's going to go big or get followers or people starting to know you. I started it in 2014 with the intention of just write all of the adventures and document everything, have your little memory, and also get discounts from hotels. Because during the time, we were volunteering and doing different things to, to save money on travels. And someone mentioned to me, oh, why don't you write reviews? How can you write reviews? TripAdvisor or anything? No, on your own website, write about it and you'll get discount and maybe some hotels will give you for free. It's like, oh my gosh, how is that? And during the time, there are a few Filipino travel bloggers, but not someone who is traveling full time on the Philippines passport. And then I started writing about how to get visa and everything. And then that's when things got bigger. And I'm not really like a destination travel guide, like things to do here, things to do there, because a lot of people have written about that. But technically, it's very, very niche thing that, okay, I'm a Filipina with a Philippines passport. This is how I traveled to this place. And this is the cost. This is the budget. And this is my experience. This is the sad part, the good part, and those things. I also want to trace your entrepreneurial journey a little bit. So can you talk about how you were financing your travel in those very, very early days and then how that evolved on your entrepreneurial trajectory? I started my around the world trip, like a sabbatical during the time in 2013 from the income and savings that I had while I was working in the Middle East. So I was in the Middle East for four years. And I was single, I was young, and I don't have a lot of obligations. I had a condominium that I was paying, an apartment in the Philippines. And other than that, I didn't have any obligations. So I have enough money. And then from there, in Vietnam, I started teaching English and save up enough money. And then studied yoga and Ayurveda massage in India. And then started to make money from it as well, like as we go by. And then started the travel blog. And before the travel blog, we were also volunteering in hostels in exchange for free accommodation and free breakfast. And then I've done some social media marketing job for other people. And I've done different things. But online stuff is how I ended up like moving forward and forward. And from the blog, from the ads, from affiliate marketing, from sponsored posts, social media promotions, and different ways of earning passive income on the website until I started to write an ebook and started offering coaching services and different kinds of services for Filipinos. Well, I love that you have focused a lot of your expertise and experience on helping Filipinos in particular to travel the world. Can you talk a little bit about that decision? Talk about how FilipinoPassport.com came about and how all of that has evolved? 
Yes. So I started the blog twomonkeystravelgroup.com first in 2014. And then I started filipinopassport.com just last year. Technically, filipinopassport.com will just totally evolve in the fact that for Filipinos who wanted to apply for USA visa, UK visa, Schengen, not just for tourist visa, but then to get spouse visa, fiance visa, student visa, then to eventually immigrate how and where Filipinos can immigrate if you have this money, where can you go? And to become like a one-stop shop platform for Filipinos who wanted to travel and immigrate abroad. And I know that there's so many bloggers, so many digital nomads, so many different things. And there are a lot of Filipino travel bloggers too who are writing about these things. But I knew that if I could just focus on this niche and we have 100 million Filipinos, there's always space for everyone to follow and to read. But even if I just get 1% of my Filipino people to support the business. I want to take just one minute out to let you know that in addition to hosting The Maverick Show, I am also the co-founder of Maverick Investor Group, a real estate brokerage that helps you buy turnkey rental properties in the best U.S. real estate markets from anywhere. So these are single family homes, sometimes two to four unit properties, and they're either brand new or fully renovated, and they already have tenants and local property management in place. So you get all the benefits of owning the deeded real estate, that physical house, the hard asset, without the headaches of being the landlord or the rehabber or needing to live near the property. So I want to offer you a free consultation if that sounds interesting to you. To learn more about it, you can just go to themaverickshow.com slash consult. And now, back to the episode. And use our services, then I'm okay. <laughs> well, you have now been to 173 countries and territories. Mm -hmm. And so after experiencing all of those places, how did you decide to create a base for yourself in Montenegro of all the places in the world? I first visited Montenegro in 2017 and we got invited by the tourism organization. I was like, oh, this is cool. But we were here during winter. Like, oh my God, it's so sad. It's so cold. It's rainy, but it's beautiful country, really beautiful. And I didn't hear about it even until 2017. I just know that it was Yugoslavia. I didn't know that there's this tiny country that is beside Croatia that is easy for Filipinos to enter. It's like, okay, this is cool. 2018, they invited again. I was like, okay, I brought my sister and her boyfriend with me. So we traveled around. Wow, this is amazing. Before it was cool. I saw Montenegro during summer season. Wow, this is amazing. So many activities on the water, activities in the mountain. You can go hiking. You can go sailing in one day. And then 2019, visited again. I didn't have any intention of living here, to be honest. The plan was to live in Portugal and make Portugal as the base. But I think that's going to be my retirement plan. <laughs> so technically, with Montenegro, I had a car accident in Pakistan and I couldn't walk for three months. And I didn't know that Montenegro has the best physical therapy institute. And they gave me a residency while I was getting a treatment there and I was able to walk. And this institute is one of the oldest in the Balkans and a lot of Scandinavian people who goes there for rheumatitis, arthritis and physical therapy issues. I was like, wow, this is freaking amazing. And ended up buying a small stone house here. And this has become the home base now. 
And can you talk a little bit about what some of the advantages are for remote workers of residing in Montenegro? If people are thinking about creating a base or something like that, what's that side of it look like? Actually, they just approved the law for the digital nomad visa, which I think is going to be implemented by January next year. But even not just for the digital nomad visa, for those remote workers who are already traveling in Schengen zone, I know a lot of you guys, Americans, even the British and other nationality, if you're not EU, you can only stay in EU for 90 days. Then you have to do a visa run. And I think Montenegro is the best bet for you because after Croatia, you can just cross the border to Montenegro and you could stay here 90 days and aside from that the cost of living here is really low for local people it's not low because the salary is low but for someone like you and me who are working online and earning money abroad this is the best bet you could rent an apartment fully furnished for one bedroom for 300 euro you can have a decent meal for two euro you can have a bottle of wine for three to four euro you can buy a car for 1000 2000 euro a secondhand car yeah, and the taxation is 9%, but I think when they implement the digital nomad visa, you don't even have to pay taxes. You could live here for two years without paying taxes, and they just wanted to have the indirect income. And I've been pushing about this since 2019, and I'm so grateful that the government was really understood. Ah, how come remote workers should come? They're not going to pay taxes, but they finally understood. And Montenegro is so strategic because even though the country only has two airports, Podgorica and Tivat, it's also close to Albania, Tirana Airport, and also to Dubrovnik Airport. So technically, coming from Dubrovnik, going to the border of Montenegro of Albania, it's just like five hours and you're already, you step foot in like three different countries, except traffic is horrible during summer. I think Montenegro is really good and the weather is fantastic in the coast, excluding Kotor during winter because it's going to be rainy and there's not a lot of sun. But the remote workers should really... No this place. There are destinations in the country where the internet is really slow. For me, I can do streaming, I can talk, I can upload. It will take a little bit while because I live up in the hill. But if you stay in hotels or hostels with fiber optic, you'll not have a problem. So technically, you just have to choose the cool city we're in. It will be aligned with the job that you have. All right. So I want to ask you recommendations there. I have only been to Montenegro once, although I have been talking about it ever since I went and I've only been to Kotor. So I was doing exactly mm. what you said. I was on my way to Dubrovnik in Croatia and the Bay of Kotor is very close. It's just a little hop over the border. And I went there in the summertime and it was just jaw droppingly gorgeous. I mean, stunning. Mm-hmm. You got to swim in the Bay of Kotor and then you're looking up at all of these mountains that are surrounding you from 360 degrees and hiking around. And it was just one of the most beautiful places that I have seen in all of Europe. I mean, it was just absolutely incredible, but that's all that I've seen. And it was a pretty short trip. It certainly inspired me to go back and spend more time. And so when I do, or when other people do for the first time, where should people go? What should people see? And if folks want to have kind of that longer term base there, let's just say, even if it's just for like a few months, but if nomads want to go and have a good place where they can work and get good Wi-Fi and be in a really cool area, what types of spots in Montenegro would you recommend for that? Okay. It depends on the season. I don't recommend if you're only here for a few months, if you really like to go to party, then go to Budva and Kotor during summer season, but it's so crowded. Traffic is really horrible. A semi-local, like an expat, I don't really go to those attractions during summer season. 
But if you want to look for like a long-term home base, if you just want to have like good internet, good restaurants, good cafe, then go to the capital city of Podgorica. There's no water, but then the coast bar and Budva and other destinations, it's just like an hour drive away or like a bus away. It's not really a big deal, but Podgorica is going to be your best bet. And if you want to meet a lot of expats, a lot of Western Europeans or Americans, then you should go to Tivat. And all of the luxury, fine dining and a lot of activities and resorts, beach parties and everything, then of course in Tivat. If you want to have a scenery, go hiking, quiet place, maybe the internet is not that fast, then go to Herzegnovi, where I live right now. If you don't need to look for a job, but you need to drive in Herzegnovi, you need to drive. But Better um, transportation, it's in Podgorica. But if you want a city that doesn't die, even winter, there's always action. There's always restaurants. Some of the restaurants here are closed during the winter. They're only open during summer season. And the locals doesn't work during winter. They'll just go ski or travel. Then go to Budva if you want like a year-long kind of thing. Kotor is perfect for summer because of the weather, but it's traffic. But I don't recommend Kotor during winter. The location of the mountains there, it's very rainy. It's different kind of temperature in that area than the other places. Well, I know that one of the things that you have done since relocating to Montenegro is you have started a business of consulting services that helps people relocate to Montenegro. Can you talk a little bit about that business and the suite of services that you offer, who that's for, Uh and what they can get from your business? So we have Move to Montenegro. It's M-O-V-E number two, Montenegro.com. Technically, our Initial clients are mostly Filipinos who wanted to immigrate here with their entire family with the plans of setting up their own companies or getting employment, other things that would allow them to get permanent residency on a self-sponsorship scheme that eventually could give them a different citizenship because with their Philippines passport. And because I got really, really involved with the digital nomad visa, we are now going to assist as well on how remote workers could get residency in Montenegro, the two years digital nomad visa what will be the requirements because here if you're a foreigner every move that you're gonna do you need to have appointed translator with you to do anything that is involving paperwork you need to have translator and all of your documents should be translated to montenegrin serbian it should be translated like that and you have to pay each pages and there's so many bureaucracy because still it's not yet as modern as the other countries we're in you could do everything online So we wanted to offer more services to digital nomads and other startup tech companies who wanted to start their base here in Montenegro. Aside from that, we help as well with accommodation, transportation, buying a car, getting your license and those different things. Amazing. We are going to link that up in the Mm -hmm. show notes. So folks could just go to themaverickshow.com and go to the show notes for this episode. And there we're going to have the link to your website so that if folks want to get more info on relocating to Montenegro or getting into the digital nomad visa or any of that kind of stuff, any questions and info about life there, they'll be able to check out the link and go through that link. Catch, I want to ask you now, at this point in your nomad journey, when you think back about all of these travel experiences that you've had and the ones that we've been talking about, what impact do you think all of this travel has had on you as a person from age 20 until now? Mm -hmm. I think I develop empathy. It's different now. I think my maturity started understanding more other people from their perspective and 
finally dealing with them according to not how I wanted or how I feel, but how both of us will be in a win-win situation. But yeah, I think more on empathy side. Sometimes I complain about a lot about my life, about other people, but then just realize that's how travel really impacted me. And can you talk also about why you are so passionate about continuing to travel? Is it actually really important for you, not for even, let's say, a country counting thing or for followers mm-hmm. or for a thing like that, but for you personally, do you still enjoy the world travel? And if so, why? What does it mean to you today? I enjoy travel more now than before. A few years ago, when I didn't have a base, I was just so tired, burned out because I was working. And then after this work in this country, I wanted to go to another place. And it's just become a rat race because I don't know what I'm trying to prove to myself and to other people those days. But when I change and shift my mindset to a different thing, like what I'm aiming for, what is it? for like am I really happy doing it I've had more appreciation with my travels to some of the beaten countries and territories I feel alive when I travel I feel freedom travel is a lifestyle for me it's not like me running away Montenegro is my home and I love it here because the lifestyle is very very slow paced I've been home for two months now dealing with other things and I'm actually itchy like I want to go somewhere now not because I want to escape my life here because I have a really good quiet life just chill but I don't feel like I am growing this is my relaxing but travel makes me grow like learn something new and it smells and feels like freedom for me and I don't think I'm going to stop maybe I'm going to change the way I travel in the future if I decide to have kids and decide to do other things it will change but I don't think I would stop. But what I'm going to do is have a break. Three months home, two months traveling, three months home to have a cycle. And believe it or not, I'm the person who loves routine. I love routines. And with traveling, it's a little bit so-so. But even though when I'm traveling, I'm still able to keep up with some of my routines. The only thing that I struggled about is the food because I try to eat as much as I can. But if I know that I have an end date of my traveling and I'm going to be able to work out when I go home, then I was like, okay, that's why I appreciate it more. There's an end and then resume again. Do you have any tips that you can share for digital nomads that are maybe at the earlier part of their journey? Because you've done the full-time itinerant nomad thing with no base for many, 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 many years, and you were able to build businesses and things like that during that time. And you're also now choosing to maintain a base, but travel for a good portion of the year from that base. So I'm curious, just reflecting back on all of that, if you have any tips or lessons that you can share with folks about how to sustain a lifestyle of long-term travel in a way that is fulfilling and productive and joyful? I really believe that you need to have different skills that would allow you to work online. And before you leave your corporate job to go remote, I highly suggest that you have like a very, very good cushion of money so you don't have to go travel and then come back again and start something new. But you need to have a plan to begin with, with your finances. And I think the main advice is if you're a remote worker, I highly suggest to learn and enhance your networking skills because that's where you're going to have the opportunity to learn from these people who have done it and maybe opportunity from people who might be able to hire you or to mentor you or to travel with you and save costs. So that's it, networking and building your contacts and really just establishing good network of friends. 
And what about the concept that you mentioned of creating routine as you're waking up in different places and traveling to different time zones, but needing to be disciplined to do your work and things like that? And then also balancing your work with wanting to see and experience all of the amazingness of the places that you're in. Any tips for that? Yeah. So now I'm glad to have been in a situation wherein I have people who works with me full time now. So like I have a team where I outsource most of tasks that doesn't involve a lot of decision making. But still, even for the last few years, wherever I go, my body automatically wakes up at 5 a.m. And now it's now. Like I'm like so laid back. Like I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So I'll just sleep until 8 or 11 or what. But for years, I wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning. And when I wake up at five o'clock in the morning, just meditate and stuff. But for a few years before I got burned out, I didn't. I was just automatically on my phone checking everything. But what I usually do, even before and now, the night before, I write down five things that is so important that I have to accomplish and how long it will take me. So if I know that I have to finish all of my emails in the morning, then I have to wake up at five and finish it by 6 a.m. But if I am in traveling in America or in that side of the world, then the Philippines, which is mostly on my market, it's ahead of time. So whenever I wake up in the States, it's okay. Or I do it at night. I just have to make sure that I have at least three hours in the morning and three hours at night to work on the things and just be very spontaneous in between. Amazing. All right, Cash, <laughs> I think that's a great place to end the main portion of this interview. And at this point, are you ready to move in to the lightning round? Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's do it. The lightning round. Okay, Catch. what is one book that has significantly impacted you over the years that you'd most recommend people check out? So many, but right now I highly recommend The Seven Spiritual Laws of Success by Deepak Chopra. It's actually not a book, a mini book, and you could listen to it on Audible. Really good one. Catch. what is one travel hack that you use that you can recommend to people? Gosh, so many. But for flight tickets, I highly recommend you use Google Flights, Skyscanner, Kiwi.com, Amundo, all of like the platforms, and then just compare. And usually they book it directly with airlines later on. And use VPN. Can you talk about the VPN thing and why that's important? It really depends. There are a few VPNs that you could use on your Chrome or on your platform, like for free and for sometimes on your phone, because you could just adjust the location of your IP and then you could get the rates of the local destination instead of being in a foreign country. Because I didn't know that they are changing the prices, the matrix. I didn't know that for years. I was like, no, it's the same. They will not find out. <laughs> but they do. That is a really significant tip. That is awesome. All right. Catch, if you could have dinner with any one person who's currently alive today that you've never met, just you and that person for an evening of dinner and conversation, who would you choose? Naval Ravikant. Naval has been a really popular pick on The Maverick Show. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people have picked him. I think that would be an amazing dinner, and we will link him up in the show notes so people can go check him out if they're not familiar with him. There's so many people who requested it. Why don't you organize a dinner with Naval and all of your guests? I'll be there in a gun. You'll be there. <laughs> yeah, I'll see if we can make that happen. I'll see if he'll show up. That would be pretty incredible. All right, Catch, knowing everything that you know now, if you could go back in time and give one piece of advice to your 18-year-old self, what would you mm -hmm. say to 18-year-old Catch? 
when I was young, I always blame something to anyone or my past or my trauma. If I will go back, I'm going to tell myself, stop being a victim by taking responsibility and followed by accountability and just keep going. Everything is going to be all right in the end. All right. Of all the places that you have now traveled in the world, what are your top three favorite travel destinations you would most recommend other people should check out? Okay. Antarctica, Venezuela, and of course, I'll just say Montenegro because they need to see it. And I really love it here. Can you talk about why Venezuela? Venezuela, I lived in Latin America from 2014 to 2017, traveled all over this continent. And I think there's this charm of Venezuela that it looks so hard to get into witches and it's kind of hard to explore. But once you get there, it feels so amazing. Going to Canaima, to the Angel Falls on a small boat for five hours and just sat there without something in your back. Taking this Cessna plane that it feels like it's gonna drop in the water so close. And I was watching Miss Universe in Orinoco Delta and there was like a little monkey in my head and that won't leave me and just treated me like a mom. And there's so many things that I could just say that Latin America is gorgeous, so many cool attractions, but there's this rawness of Venezuela because there's not a lot of tourists visiting there. So I really think it's going to be the next big thing in the next few years when politically it's going to be more stable and safe. Amazing. All right, mm -hmm. Catch. Last question. What are your top three bucket list destinations, places you have not yet been that are the highest on your list you'd most love to see? Greenland, I'm hoping to get there. Not really destination, but I really want to do overland trip in West and Central Africa, starting from the north to south, the entire region. And I really want to cross the Atlantic Ocean on a sailboat and just explore Oceania. I don't know how a specific destination, but I really want to cross the Atlantic on a small sailboat. That's so amazing. All right, Catch, I want you to let folks know at this point how they can find you, how they can follow you on social media, check out your blog, and also how they can check out your services for mm -hmm. our Filipino listeners, how they can check out your Filipino-specific services, and then for our other nomads that are interested maybe in learning more about Montenegro and digital nomad visas there and stuff like that. How do you want people to come into your world? Thank you. Not just for people who wanted my services, but if you guys are going to Montenegro, I usually host a few small parties and I could host you, drive you around, or maybe host you in my house if I am around. You can find me on Instagram. It's catchumandap, K-A-C-H dot umandap, U-M-A-N-D-A-P, or Two Monkeys Travel, like number two, Monkeys Travel on Instagram. On Facebook as well, it's Two Monkeys Travel or Filipino Passport by Catch. Catch Umandap, like just type Catch and then Filipino on Google you'll find it k-a-c-h so yeah if you guys uh, just want to go on adventures or visit montenegro or any just random questions about visa or digital nomad scheme here i'd be happy to help and host you guys amazing well i'm certainly looking forward to taking you up on that and coming through montenegro yes. and hanging out sometime soon so that'll be definitely very high on my list now that i know you are there and yeah. all of these amazing things to do Book your flight. I'll buy you like 10 bottles of wine, a plantage wine. Don't worry. I got you.
<laughs> we need to do a wine night in Montenegro ASAP. So I'm excited about that. For everybody else, we are going to link up everything that you just mentioned in the show notes. So folks can just go to one place at themaverickshow.com. Go to the show notes for this episode. There you will find all of the ways to contact Catch and to check out all of her amazing content and services and everything else. And you can just reach out to her from there. Catch, this was amazing. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much, Math, for this opportunity, for someone like you to interview me in your show. Thank you. Thank you, really. And I hope to meet you personally soon. <laughs> yeah, let's make that happen very soon. All right. Good night, everybody. Be sure to visit the show notes page at themaverickshow.com for direct links to all the books, people, and resources mentioned in this episode. You'll find all that and much more at themaverickshow.com. Learn how Maverick Investor Group can help you by cash-flowing rental properties in the best U.S. real estate markets, regardless of where you live. Schedule a free phone consult today at themaverickshow.com slash consult. Now you can buy rental properties with tenants and local property management in place so you don't have to be a landlord or a rehabber to get your questions answered and discuss how Maverick Investor Group can help you meet your real estate investing goals. Schedule your free phone consult today at themaverickshow.com forward slash consult. If you like podcasts, you will love audiobooks and you can get your first one for free at themaverickshow.com slash audiobook. Whether you want the latest best-selling novels or books on investing, business, or travel, try your first audiobook for free at themaverickshow.com forward slash audiobook.